Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming uh, today, this Sunday. My name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And for those of you, if we're doing Facebook Live, for those of you that are on Facebook Live, thank you so much for uh, tuning in as well. Let me just give you a, a brief welcome. Uh, here at Heights Community, we're about three things. Uh, we're about the gospel, we're about community, and we're about mission. And the primary way that we make disciples uh, here at Heights Community specifically is through what we call missional community. And so if you're not yet plugged in uh, through a missional community where you've had the opportunity to walk out gospel community and mission, I want to invite you to do so. So you can download the Church Center app, check out where they are. You can come find me or anyone that's on stage. Uh, if you've not already been invited into one, I'd love to just invite you into mine. I uh, just stepped into a new MC myself, and so would love to have you be a part uh, of the body in that way. The second thing that I have for you is February 14th. Everybody say February 14th. Okay, if you have a significant other, you should already know, okay, February 14th is important, okay? For you dudes in the room, don't, you can stop using Groupons on that day, okay? Actually cough up a little coin, all right? February 14th, and so February 14th. We're going to be transitioning our service times. We're going to change the times of our gathering to 9 a.m. and also to 1045 uh, a.m. So we will not have these time slots that you're currently setting in. The hope is that we can kind of love our volunteers well, get them out of here maybe before lunch, uh, get some of you out of here before 1.30. And in that also, we're going to increase the cap, the size uh, of that we allow people to RSVP for this room or the size of this room. We're currently setting it, we allow 65 people to RSVP. But what we see is that some people RSVP and they don't show for whatever reason or they don't know how to cancel. And it's actually limiting the amount of people that can come here, even though there's room, like where there's space available, but people cannot come. And so we're hoping that in increasing that, while it might grow this room, most certainly, it also is there to benefit those who are uh, wanting to come. We had someone last week, I think it was last week, that said, hey, the RSV is full. full. Uh, we'll sit in the lobby and listen to the sermon. And we were like, just come in. <laughs> like, if that's the heart for worship, just come inside and sit down and worship with us. And so that's the two things I have for you. The third thing that I want to do is I get the great opportunity to read to you out of Joshua chapter 10 verse 8 through 15. And so uh, because we place high value on God's word, we hold it in great reverence. Would you stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word, please? Joshua chapter 10, verses 8 through 15. Here we go. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent to ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makedah. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said, Inside of Israel, 
sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since, when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to camp at Gilgal. This is the word of the Lord. You may take a seat. What's going on? My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. I got the privilege to preach this morning the word. Um, man, a few things real quick. Let's pray. God, we just come to you, Lord. Just felt you move so powerful in the, pre- in the previous service, Lord. And I just, I just pray that we experience the same thing. God, if there's anyone here that they don't know you, Lord, I, I just pray that you speak to their hearts, that you just start to move right now, softening their heart of stone to a heart of flesh, convicting them of their sins, that they may repent. God, that your word may just prove to be faithful and just to lead them into a relationship with you. God, speak through me. Let it be your words, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. So, hey, quick announcement. I, I don't, huh? That's my big old heads messing up that frequency. <laughs> I don't know. It happened to me last service, too. But uh, it's all right. It'll go away in a second. Real quick, just so you guys know, we, this came up as we do the HC Institute, just like that we need to update people on how things are going with the missionaries that we partner with. And we partner with two missionaries who are supposed to be in Indonesia, but currently they're in North Carolina because the, the restrictions to travel to Indonesia just keep getting added on to week after week. So I just want to encourage you guys to be praying for Thomas and Gwen Chavez. They're missionaries. They're going to be going to Bali, Indonesia to witness to Muslims and Hindus, and they're not getting overseas right now. So just be, be in prayer for them as... Um, as we do that. And then I just wanted to tell you guys, like, man, I'm just excited to be here with you. Like, I just, I say that and I really am. I remember this morning as I'm, like, getting ready to leave, it's like 6.45. And my wife's like, what time do you get there? I was like, I don't know, like 7.15, 7.30 at the latest. I'm just excited to be here with you. And each week, it's like more and more people come back because COVID's been restricting it. So I didn't, when I say, like, I'm excited to see you, I really am. I'm just, it's so cool to get to be here with you, to, to sing the songs that we get to sing about the God who we're singing them about. And then we get to scripture like this. And we see in a historical account of Joshua 10, and it just grabs our attention. Whether you're a believer or a skeptic or an atheist, this has to grab your attention. I mean, and some of you sitting here right now are thinking, hold on, you're calling us an historical account? Like, you may just see this as like a myth or a legend or just some kind of other fairy tale story from the Bible that you don't believe. Because, I mean, here's what just happened. God threw everyone into panic, Like, first of all, like, how did he do that? Like, how did he throw him in a panic? Then he rains down hail from heaven, killing people. I mean, this is like pinpoint accuracy that he is hailstorms coming down. He killed more people that way than Israel killed with a sword, okay? So, like, this is amazing in itself. And then the sun stood still. It did not move. 
I don't know what that means, and we're going to talk about it more, but like my mind is just like going because all three of those things, apart from genuine faith in God, sound absolutely ridiculous and not quite realistic. But if you have a high view of God, his sovereignty, his power, then you trust it, and you know that he's all-powerful and could make this happen with no problem at all. But here's the thing. we got to do a little catch-up because some of you have been here and you know where we've been in Joshua and some of you haven't been here. And I want to make sure that you know exactly where we're at. And last week, Corey did an amazing job of catching us up. But every week, we read more and more with our reading plan. If you haven't been with our reading plan, we're not too far and you could get caught up. Okay, so here's what happened. You have Moses. He's led everyone out of Egypt. And when we start Joshua, we see that Moses is dead. He's dead. He's gone. Joshua is now taken over. And so Joshua's in charge. And so what he does, he sends spies into Jericho. The spies meet this prostitute named Rahab. She helps them out. Then they go into Jericho. They don't kill Rahab and her family, but they kill everyone else after the fall, after the walls fall down. But this one dude named Achan decides that he wants to steal some gold for himself instead of giving it to God. And I'm talking really fast so I can move through this for you guys. And I drank a lot of caffeine this morning. And so, and then Achan steals his gold and they find out about it because 36 dudes die when they go into the next battle with AI. So then God calls him out through going through like the 12 tribes down the clans, down the family, and they, they stone Achan and his family, and they go in, they wipe out AI. Well, what happens is the Gibeonites, the Gibeonites, if you read this past week, they saw this happening at AI, and they're like, uh-uh, that ain't happening to us. So then they dress themselves up like they traveled from really far away and had some moldy food that was old, and they said that it molded on their way there, and they trick Israel into making basically a peace treaty with them, and they didn't, they didn't consult God. They just did it anyway, and they make this peace treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites do. Okay, and so then you have the five kings, the Amorites, they're like, what the heck, Gibbonites? How did you do that? Why, like, you betrayed us, and you're aligning yourself with them. So the five kings of the Amorites are like, let's go kill the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites said, hey, Israel, you remember that peace treaty? You need to come protect us. And God says to Joshua, go and do it. He tells him to go and to protect them. And in verse 8, he says, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And so we, we see this now that we're, we're picking up at this point today where Joshua's being obedient. He's going to wipe out the Amorites, but he gets a lot of help from God, a lot of help. And he gets to experience some miraculous things because of his obedience to God. If Joshua wasn't obedient, God would still accomplish his will. It would just probably look different. I don't know how because Joshua was, was obedient, so we don't have to worry about that. So obedience to God is key for us experiencing God in all his glory. Obedience to God is a must for experiencing God. Some of you right now have been thinking, I haven't really experienced God. I haven't seen him move. I haven't seen him do anything. And my first question would be, well, are you obedient? Have you been doing the things that you're called to do? And you're like, well, I don't know what I'm called to do. Well, then that's why you have the Bible. You can read it and figure that out, and I can help you with that. But the reality is, is that if we're not obedient, then we're not going to experience God. Again, verses 8 and 9, it says right there, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came up upon them suddenly, see, he's being obedient, having marched up all night from Gilgal. Joshua responded to what God told him to do. And because of that, now he experiences some amazing things. But for us, we're like, I don't know. I couldn't do that. But see, here's the reality is that gave Joshua confidence to act in obedience. 
And you may be thinking, well, yeah, if God told me exactly what to do and told me like he's already victorious for me, of course I would act in obedience. But would you? Would I? Probably not. You want to know why? Because he's already told us what to do and we don't do half of it, if that. Like we're like, oh, I'm supposed to go make disciples of all nations. That means maybe I should go somewhere besides the Metro East. No, I'm good. I'm going to stay right here behind this pulpit where it's safe. No, that's not it. He said to go make disciples of all nations, so we go. The Bible says to tithe, but yet we cling to our money like it's ours. Like, that's the reality where we live. Like, we don't want to give up our control, and then we wonder why we're not experiencing God. It's simple. We're not obedient. Why would he do these things in our midst when we're sitting there in our own way holding on to what we want to do? And you think, well, again, though, David, if if God would just talk to me and tell me, he has. He has. And you have something better than these Old Testament people. You know what that is? If you're a believer, if you're sitting in this room and you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. He's talking to you. He's guiding you. He's directing you. And you're sit there and tell me, well, I ain't heard from the Lord. Because you're not listening. And he gave you his word. His word. All of this is yours. You know what Joshua had? He had five books. That's it. Five. That's all he got. We have the whole Bible, the whole Testament, the whole New Testament, the covenant, the new covenant of Jesus and the gospel. This is what we've got. And then we're like, well, I just ain't heard from God in a while. So how can I be obedient? It's because we're missing it. And we start to get this misconception of who God is. We think that he's not up to anything, but in fact, he's up to so much. And, and here's how I know. Like Corey just mentioned like watching, like he, he was, we mentioned Facebook. Well, we did Facebook Live last time, but like God is up to so much. There, there's people who have been seeing us on Facebook who have started coming to this church who never came to CCC or to Heights before the merge, and like that now they're here, and God's drawing new people to this church and, and doing just miraculous things. We gave away a million pounds of food. Uh, I mean, but yet God's not doing anything. He's not doing stuff like this. He is. And you want to know why? Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. We see this in this text, that God is sovereignty. And because of his sovereignty and his word, we can know that God is at work and that he can do things and make things happen. This is so cool, this whole idea of the sun stopping to me. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a whole list of questions. I really am. Like, I mean, I know we're supposed to get there and worship, and I will. And I, uh, but I, I got to talk to Jesus, and I'm going to have my list of questions. He's going to tell me to shut up and sit down and worship him, or I'm just going to fall on my face and just complete all. Probably that, and I'll just forget all my questions, and they won't matter. But I want to know how the sun stopped. But this is interesting. So there's a guy named Harold Hill. He was a president of an engineering company and a consultant to a space program. And they were doing this work, and they were checking for the position of the sun and the moon and the planets and, and everything because I didn't know this. I just figured they, rock, they shot rockets up into the air, and their satellites circled, and I got ESPN and Fox Sports Midwest because of it, right? Like, I didn't worry about the process, and why should I? But they do. See, if they don't know the position of the sun and the stars and the moon and all this stuff for the next 100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years, whatever, the life of those satellites, it could crash into something. 
So they have to track the positioning of all this stuff so that it all fits and works and moves it correctly and nothing bad happens to these billion-dollar satellites they're sending into orbit. And so as they did that, they were running a computer measurement back and forth over the different centuries trying to figure out the positioning of all the times because they want to track it from the beginning of as far back as they can go to who knows how far in the future. But something came up in their computer, a little bit of a glitch. There was a day missing. They're just dumbfounded. How could a day be missing? How could this happen? And so what was wrong, they had no answer to. They could not answer it. They had no scientific answer, but yet there was a believer who was there. And he said, well, I remember this one time in Sunday school where I heard a story about Joshua asking God to have the sun stop. If you can only imagine, they laughed at him and told him he was ridiculous. That just sounded nuts. But he showed them in Joshua 10, and they're like, well, okay, let's track it back to when that historically would have happened. And that was around the right time. But here's the problem. When you look at Joshua 10, and, and it says that the sun stopped for about a whole day in there in verse 14, did not hurry to set for about a whole day. So when they did that, they could only account for 23 hours and 20 minutes. Now, 40 minutes doesn't seem like a lot to us unless I was preaching for that whole time. But it took you guys a second, huh? 40 minutes over a long period of time it will take you way off track. And so they're like, well, what the heck? What are we going to do with that? This doesn't make sense. And so the believer said, well, I know one other story in the Bible where this could happen. It sounds crazy. But in 2 Kings, Hezekiah, he was on his deathbed, and the prophet Isaiah visits him. And he tells Hezekiah that he's not going to die. And Hezekiah asked for a sign as proof. And Isaiah said, do you want me to turn the sun to go ahead 10 degrees, and Hezekiah said, it is nothing for the sun to go ahead 10 degrees, but let it return backwards 10 degrees. I mean, we all know the sun goes forward, but to go backwards? And so, sun goes back 10 degrees. That 10 degrees is equivalent to 40 minutes. So there's 24 hours missing in history that these scientists had no answer for, but God's word gives us answer. And why? Because God is sovereign. He is sovereign and in control. And so science doesn't restrict what God does. This whole story starts to show us that science does not restrict what God can do. He is not restrained by the laws of physics or the universe because he made those laws and he's the one that spoke them into motion. And so if he wants to stop time, he can stop time. If he wants to do anything else, he can do it. He can suspend the natural process to which science has no answer. And I can accept that as truth. I, because of my theology, because of my doctrine, what I believe of God, what I read of his word, he is sovereign in control. So there is nothing that is beyond him. I don't limit God like, oh, maybe he couldn't do this. Because here's the reality. If he can save me, he can do anything. He can do anything. And so I love knowing all this stuff. I'm curious. I want to know, how did he do it? How did he stop the rotation of the earth? Did or it stopped the sun. Did he stop the earth from rotating? Did it just cease and just freeze up? It wasn't spinning anymore. It's not rotating around the sun. Because as we read this, we say, it says that the sun stood still. And anyone in here who's been through any just K through 12, you know that the sun is not moving. It's a fixed thing, a fixed object. And the earth is rotating around the sun. So for the sun to stand still means we would have to either A, stopped spinning or the light lingered to go and it just seemed as if the sun wasn't moving. Maybe there was an eclipse. 
if the earth stops spinning, then what about gravity, right? Like we're just going to float off into earth. And here's the deal. We're never going to know the side of eternity. We may not know in heaven what actually happened unless I'm there bugging Jesus to tell me. But hear me right now. If you're in person sitting in this room and you, and you don't believe me, know this, that it doesn't matter how he did it. And if he did stop the earth from spinning, Jesus held everything together. His power is beyond what we could ever imagine. Hear these words again from Colossians chapter 1 that we already talked, heard them during worship, but just listen to them again. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Hear this last part. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's holding it all together. If the earth stopped moving, and you would think, well, we're just going to go shooting off into space. Not if Jesus said, stand still. It, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter, guys. He is sovereign. He's in control. John 1, 3 says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He made it all. He decided how it was going to spin, how fast it was going to spin, and which direction it was going to spin. And so if he wants to stop it for a minute while the sun stood still and they kill all those people, then so be it. And we trust it. So that's the God we get to serve. That's the God we just got to worship about 15 minutes ago. That's him. And you might be thinking, so what? What does that have to do with me? That was a 1,000 years ago, and he ain't stopping the earth from spinning right now. So what difference does it make? This is the difference it makes. If God can do all that, if Jesus can do all that, he can restore your marriage. If God can do all that, he can reconcile the relationship that you don't know how it's going to get fixed that's so messed up and it's been messed up for years. He can heal you from sickness. He can bring you out of the loneliness and isolation that you live in. He is that powerful. There is nothing beyond this God. So we have to trust in the sovereignty of King Jesus. And then we pray for him to work in his sovereignty in a way that we get to experience it for our good, but also for his glory. So we pray to see God in all his magnificent power just moving in amazing ways. So our next point is this, is our prayers, are our prayers God's will or our desires? Verse 14, there in chapter 10, this just kind of made me complex for a minute as I studied this week. It says there in the second part, when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. So is God, if God is sovereign, why would he heed the words of Joshua? Why would a man control what God does? Now, here's the reality of it, is that God remains sovereign in it all. A man's voice does not sway him to action or persuade him to do something that he was not already going to do. If we remember, he's already told Joshua that into the hands of Joshua are those people, like God is in control, they're going to be victorious so when we pray, we're praying for God's will, and that's exactly what Joshua did. He pleaded a request of God in prayer according to God's wills and promises. It was not something that was contrary. Joshua was not told in verses 8 and 9, hey, go to battle and you're going to lose. No. He was told he was going to be victorious. And so when he goes into battle, he's only praying that God would advance God's cause and God's will. Just he needed help to do it. He needed it to stay dark a little bit longer so he could kill these people off and accomplish what God had called them to do. 
See, verse 14 shows us that at Joshua's request, God listened. It shows the power of a person's prayer, the power of just prayer in general. And sometimes we aren't praying for God to move. And then we wonder why we don't see him moving. But then there's this problem that we come to that we think, well, Joshua's making this outlandish request. But it wasn't. It wasn't outlandish. It was right in line with who God was and his character. And then what we'll do is we'll, we'll listen to verses like Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That is true. There is nothing in the Bible that isn't true, but this doesn't mean that everything you desire is of God's will or going to happen. Some of your heart's desires are really, really messed up. And I say that because I know some of the desires of my own heart are messed up. Right? So like what we do then is sometimes we start to pray and we want things to happen and we don't understand why they're not happening. But just because they're even good things don't mean they're of God's will. Some of you right now, maybe you're single and you're praying for a spouse and you know that it's good because it says in the Bible that it's not good for man to be alone. So you're a dude and you're like, man, God, hook me up. Maybe you're a woman. You're like, hey, God, you said it's not good for man to be alone. So put me with a man. Like, I don't know what you're praying for, and you're like, I don't understand why this is not happening. Maybe because it's not God's will in this time. Maybe you're, right now, you're praying for a kid. You're married, you're, you want to have a kid, and you're struggling to have kids, and, and you just don't understand why. You know that it would be good to have kids, and I can relate to that. My wife and I dealt with infertility for years, and we struggled. Like, God, why are you doing this? Like, why are you not letting us have kids? Everyone around us was having kids, and we just couldn't wrap our minds around it. We're praying about it. But yet in that time, what I see now is that God was working all things together for the good of those who love him. He gave me a heart for adoption. I don't know that I would have had a heart for adoption otherwise, but God shaped me and did stuff in me that I would have never ex- thought to experience on my own. But Because when I was praying for God's will to be done, really I was praying for the desires of my heart to be done to give me kids in my timing, not in God's timing. And there's a difference there. Maybe you're like me. You're praying for a brand new Toyota Tundra. All blacked out, right? Big tires. It's not in line with God's will, and it's not in line with my budget. It would bust my budget up, and then my wife would bust me up. It wouldn't be good. Like, you can't be praying for all these things that you think are good, and then just think, I don't understand why God's not giving it to me, why God's not moving, because we're not praying according to his will. Joshua knew God had already given them into their hands. So now he's just asking for help to do his part. That's it. I mean, you think about that. Like, we know what we're called to go and make disciples, right? Well, what does Luke 10, 2 say? say? It says that the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So we're supposed to be praying and asking for harvesters. So we know we're supposed to go make disciples, and we see it right there in Luke 10, 2, to, to pray for, for, for the harvest and for workers for the harvest. So when we pray that, we'd be praying according to God's will. And you're like, well, that's, that's good. There's so many promises in this book that if we just pray God's word, we'll be praying in line with his will. That, that's just sometimes we don't know what to pray. I don't know what to pray all the time, but if we pray scripture, we're going to line up with it. So God is at work, and most definitely he could have made the sun stand still regardless of Joshua. I don't know what it all would look like, but again, he, Joshua prayed for that because it was in line with God's state of purpose. So when we say we don't know what to pray, it's just that we need to spend time in his word. And sometimes he's going to give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes he will, exactly what you prayed for. But he's going to use it for your good. 
He's going to use it for his glory. He's going to magnify his name with it. He's going to make sure that he's exalted. It's not about exalting you. It's not about exalting Heights community. It's about exalting him. And here's the reality of it, though. The ultimate good for you is not a spouse. It's not a job promotion. It's not a truck. It's your salvation. It's your sanctification. It's one day spending eternity with him. So the same power that stopped the son is the same power that resurrected Jesus, and that's what we have to understand. That the same power that that made the son stand still, however it happened, that's the same power that rose Jesus from the grave and called him out of death, that conquered death and sin, and it's the same power that can resurrect you if you're not yet a Christian. And if you are a Christian, it's the power that did resurrect you from a dead, hostile spot. Now let's go through through Colossians one more time, 15 through 23, because I want you to see exactly how powerful this God is. He is the image of the invisible God. That's Jesus. He's the first born of all creation. Now, he's not born, but firstborn there is a title of preeminence and power and of majesty. For by him, all things were created. So through Jesus, he created everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So even the things you don't see, he created. Rather, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. So everything going on in D.C., he created it for him, for his power, and it's about him. So we can just stop worrying about it. Then, it's all created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So all things, the breath you're taking right now, it's because he's holding it together so that it can happen. He is the head of the body of the church. Not me, not Corey, not Jeff, and none of our other elders. It is Jesus is the head of this church and every other church, whether they want to believe that or not. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You were an enemy of God, and there needed to be peace. And by his blood, he provided peace between you and the Father that you could have never got on your own. And you were once alienated, not just some of us, all of us, alienated from God, hostile in our minds, doing evil deeds. And he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, me, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Think about that. And all the bad stuff you've ever done, everything you've ever thought that's bad, he's going to present you holy and blameless, no blame. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's going to present you before the Father, holy. This is so good. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the gospel, folks. This is the gospel. This is the power of God. This is not just some God we just think is okay. This is the God who created everything and who can save us. This is amazing. That is powerful stuff. That's the Jesus who stops the sun. That's the Jesus who parted the Red Sea. That's the Jesus who called Lazarus out of the grave. That is the Jesus who healed the blind, the the lame, the leper. And that is the Jesus who can raise you from your own grave of sin. We believe he can save us from our sins, but we'll pause and question if he could stop the sun. Come on now. Doesn't make any sense. If If he can save us, he can stop the sun. If he can stop the sun, he can save us. There in Colossians 1, it tells us to stay fast. 
That's shifting from that hope of the gospel. And so today, are you clinging to the gospel? Are you truly clinging to it? You can say, well, I'm a believer, but yet you cling to so much other stuff that just doesn't matter. You just cling to whatever feels good in the moment. See, Joshua had a promise to be God's people in a promised land in the presence of God. But you know what we have now? We have a promise to be God's people and a promised eternal life in the presence of God like we can't even fathom. So hear me. If you're sitting here today and you do not know that promise, you've never truly given your life to Jesus, today is the day. Do not leave here thinking that it's just going to work out in the end. It will not work out in the end. God will rain down worse than hailstorms on you. You have to understand this God, so powerful, so magnificent. And because of that, he gave his son so that he could resurrect us. Here's the reality. We're just like those people the Amorites, we're sinners, we're evil. But yet God saw us, and in his great love, he sent Jesus to come, to live, to be your substitute, and to die on the cross. And he did, he died on that cross, and he was risen back to life so that you may have eternal life. And in Romans 10, 9, it just says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he died and rose again, you will be saved. Anyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, will be saved. I am urging you today that is when we read a text like this, you can say, well, I don't know about all that stuff. I don't know if I believe that. You need to believe this. You need to understand that he saved you if you just call out to him. So today, I'm going to pray. We're going to take communion. And then just right where you're sitting, I just want to encourage you to, pr- to pray and ask God to save you if you've never done that before. Ask for forgiveness of your sins. Repent of your sins. Confess him as Lord and Savior, and he will save you. There's not a better thing that you can do. And if you're a believer, just ask that his will be done in your life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for just such magnificent things that you've done and that we do get to experience and, and things that we get to read about. God, I pray right now that there's people here in this room that don't know you, that, Lord, that you will, you will work a miracle in their lives and you will save them. God, if there's people here in this room whose marriages are a wreck, their life is a wreck, that they just don't know what to do, where to turn, God, I pray that the same power that stopped the sun, Lord, that you'll, you'll come in and you'll do a work in their life. God, we just we praise you, we worship you, and we just want to make much of you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, we're going to respond. Like I said, you, if you're not a believer, this is your opportunity to respond to the gospel. If you are a believer, we're going to take communion together. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now hold on. If you haven't taken it yet, listen to this next part, because this is important. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
And that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Take a second, examine yourself, go, go to the Lord. And then when you're ready, you take communion, rejoice in all that he's done.